Wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome and thanks for listening. Bleeding Daylight is on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. You can find the links at bleedingdaylight.net. Please rate and review Bleeding Daylight wherever you listen to podcasts and share this and other episodes. Today's guest talks about everything from marriage restored after divorce to cancer and how, through it all, she is finding hope in the freak show of life. For the young girl growing up on a farm, life seemed so simple, but that little girl had no idea of the twists and turns that life would take in the years and decades to come. Tess Scott has faced the mess and complications that life can bring and is still able to smile. Even more than that, she's helping others smile through her book, Listen Sister, Finding Hope in the Freak Show. Tess is my guest today on Bleeding Daylight. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me on the show. That was a great introduction. (laughs) Well, let's go back to those simpler times that I mentioned. I'm sure there were complications even back then, but tell me about growing up for you. Oh, growing up for me, I was the oldest of a family of four children. So me and then three younger brothers, we lived on a farm, probably the nearest house would be a mile, maybe down the road. We were 10 minutes outside of a small town. My dad was a farmer. And also, I guess that makes sense since we lived on a farm. And he also drove a a transport truck part time. He had, uh, you know, some crops and a few cows and pigs and chickens and some geese that would chase after us and bite us and things like that. But it was, so it was a pretty simple life, but a lot of fun. And I mentioned your book, which is Listen, mm-hmm. Sister, Finding Hope in the Freak Show, which is really aimed at women. It's, it's a great read. I know I'm not the target audience, but a, a great <laughs> read. And I know that women will really enjoy reading through that, the, the variety of stories that you've got there. And yet your story, I know, has something for everyone. And that's why we get the opportunity to chat today. Tell me, as you began to grow up, what did life start to look like as you came to the end of that time at the farm and decided to, to break away and start your own life? Where did life take you then? When I was in my late teens, I kind of walked away from the Lord, started making some decisions that weren't great. Some of the consequences for those decisions were I got pregnant. So I got married because this was the 80s. So, you know, if you got pregnant in the 80s, you got married. That's just how things happen. And so I did and had a little boy who is amazing. Now he's 36, which is blows my mind. So I had him and I was married for about a little over a year. Yeah, it wasn't long. And it was just so young, 19 years old. And and that was just the first of a whole cycle of marriages, like relationships, divorce, bad choices. And I mean, not all of it was terrible. It wasn't like I had a terrible life, but I made a lot of choices that I regret. So now that I'm an adult and I'm all these years older, I can look back and say, there's wonderful things that came out of those years. I have a whole family of boys and I'm so, so thankful for them. Also, I wish that I didn't have some of those consequences and I wish that 
of course, that I didn't cause pain for other people. And I can wish for things that hadn't happened, but there's not really value in saying like, what if, what if, what if, but there is value in learning and there is value in passing some of that wisdom on to other people. That's what I'd like to do. Like, I would like to take my story, the things that I've learned, the things that God taught me through those times and take that and encourage other women that are coming along behind me. And you talk there about you started making bad decisions and yet you hinted at the fact that you did grow up with some kind of faith. What did that mean to you back in the day? Was it just a case of that didn't really stick, that that was kind of a family faith that you went along with and and later became yours? Or was there an active turning away, no, I'm choosing a different lifestyle? You know, as I look back, I think my grandfather drove me and my brothers to Sunday school when we were little. He was one of these guys that started the Baptist church in our town, and he drove his car around and filled it, the back seat up with kids whose parents didn't go to church. You know, there's no seatbelts back then. You could just pile kids all the way in up to the you know roof of your car and fill up the basement of the church. That's what they did. And we all lived, like, believe it or not. He brought us to Sunday school, and, you know, I asked Jesus into my heart when I was maybe seven, I think, and it was real at the time. But it didn't, I mean, for a seven-year-old, you don't really understand uh, what that means at a deep level because you're seven. It's still great, but you don't understand at that deep level. So I did have that faith and that understanding and uh, as much as I could for a seven-year-old. But then as I grew older and got my friends and I'm a teenager and, you know, teenage girls, they're really not that nice. And, you know, I probably give my parents a hard time and, you know, started dating and all this. And I just went my own way. You know, it wasn't like I was rebellious in the face of God. Like, you know, I didn't have tattoos and motorcycles or any like anything like that. It was just more like a wandering away. Okay, well, this is life and this is how it's going to look for Tess. So where did things take you? You've mentioned that you fell pregnant, you married that man, but that didn't last. Was there ever a hope that that relationship was going to last or, or was this just a, a a wrong decision right from the start? Yeah, there was, there was no hope that that relationship was going to last. But you know, now, all these years later, we're good friends. And that's really important. I want to say to anybody who is divorced and has kids, it's really important to remain friends with your exes because you're always going to be in that person's life. I'm always going to be somehow connected to that man because we share a child together. And now we share grandchildren, you know, and those grandchildren are going to have birthday parties and school concerts and all those things. And so we need to get along and, and it's not hard. We, we have great relationships, but it's, it's unusual I hear that it's unusual. There's a lot of people who don't have that. And I just want to encourage anyone in that situation to work on it because it's so important and important for your kids. After that time of having this son whom you're extremely grateful for, but a relationship that goes south and is over, where did life take you then? Then I did get remarried and had three more kids and adopted a special needs son. And so that puts us at, let's see, five now And at that time. And that relationship also ended in divorce. Man, it's painful even to say it, although it was a long, like 20 years ago, that relationship ended in divorce as well. 
And then I got remarried again for the third time to my husband, Rick. He had two boys. I had five boys. So we came together with seven boys and had one more together, which means eight boys in a big blended family. That is where we get the term freak show of life. (laughs) It certainly sounds like there's more than enough to handle there. And we should say that you had that first relationship and and that was never going to last. Then the second one, and you had hoped that that was going to last and you had these children together and then it didn't. And now you've married Rick and we'd like to say, well, life just went on and you lived happily ever after. But that wasn't the story, was it? No. So in 2012, Rick came to me and told me that he he didn't love me and he was going to leave. So let me tell you, I was devastated. I was finally living for the Lord. Life was going along and I thought everything was great. I had I was shocked. I was devastated. My face was in the green carpet of my bedroom, like just begging God, do not, please do not let this happen. I don't, I don't want to be alone again. I don't want to be raising these kids alone. I don't want the shame. I mean, already so much shame in my life. I don't want that. I was begging God every day to not let it happen. And yet he did. He allowed it to happen. Rick left and we were separated. Every day I prayed that he would come back. And after a year, I met with him and he asked if we could do something to try to get back together. And he was not interested. He was in no uncertain terms, not interested in that. So we were divorced. It was horrible. It was the worst time. I can now say I'm thankful for it. Isn't that weird, Rodney? I'm thankful because during that time, I needed God to breathe. I clung to him every moment of those days It's all I could do. It's all I could do. And I'm thankful because I grew so close to God during that time. And it was so necessary. I mean, hear me say, I don't ever want that to happen again. And I don't want it to happen to anyone else. But I'm thankful because God used that time to grow Tess. So really, God used this as an opportunity to grab your attention. And this Mm -hmm. relationship that you were so desperate to hold on to, It's almost like God was saying, yeah, that relationship is important, but you're still missing the most important relationship with him. What transpired once you started growing closer to God through this experience, through saying, Lord, I'm at the end of myself, I need to just reach out to you, when did things start to change? Well, things changed so much in that time. You don't see it when you're in the middle of it. Like it's very difficult to see it in yourself to see changes or to see what's happening. I remember things like realizing, hey, I think I haven't cried all day today. You know, like the little steps, the little steps and watching and watching your kids. I think watching your kids is even more painful than the pain you feel yourself. It was a really brutal time. But after three years after our divorce, Rick and I started talking which in itself was amazing that we were communicating. And then God started to reconcile our relationship. We started dating. And after several months, we got remarried. How freaky is that? 
It's quite an amazing journey that you've been on. It's not a happily ever after story. We know in relationships we still need to work on things. So how was that, putting your toe in the water again after the, I guess, the rejection and the shame that you'd felt in the past with relationships breaking down? Was there a a sense of being very tentative in, in stepping into this relationship again? Oh, yeah. It was scary. It was very scary. But this is what Rick said to me. I'm going to work really hard and we're going to work really hard together on this. You can ask me anything about anything and I will tell you the truth because there was a lot of things that happened when our relationship ended. That was very vulnerable of him because we had to walk through a lot of hurt, you know, and some of that had been gone for you know, three, four, I guess over four years and to bring it all back up to the surface so that we could work through it. He's not really a talker. My husband, I'm more the talker and he's the quiet guy. Um, And he had to do a lot of talking. So I'm sure that wasn't comfortable. We spent many, 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 many days, like weeks and weeks and months of talking through it. We went to counseling, we figured things out, we were honest and it was worth it. We knew it would be worth it. I didn't know if God would allow it. I didn't know if he would really reconcile our relationship, but I wanted to try. I loved him and and I wanted to see what God would do. And God doesn't always do that. It's not always the way things work. It's not always what's best for us. God knows what's best, but I'm thankful that it was what he chose to do. You touched on the fact that when that relationship first broke down, there was that sense of shame. And and I can imagine this is the third marriage that has broken down and third marriage that has ended in divorce. And there's shame around that. How did God work with your heart to help you realize there didn't need to be shame? that he was actually there to heal not only the the broken past, but to take away that shame. Tell me about that. Yeah, I went to counseling. (laughs) I had a wonderful Christian counselor who pointed me to truth. You know, the only thing that I know that I know that I know to be true is the word of God. And I have to take all those thoughts, even today, I have to take all those thoughts about who I am and compare them to truth. What does God say Tess is? What does God say Rodney is? I feel rejected, but God says I'm chosen. I needed to have that in front of me all the time. And I still do. I still recommend that having that verse or having that statement that is true right straight from the word and having it on, like, I like to have it on a cue card and have it on the bathroom mirror on, you know, above the kitchen sink where I'm doing dishes or somewhere where I see it all the time and get that truth into your head all the time because the enemy is out to fill our head with lies and we need to fill our head with truth. But the only way we know that truth is by reading it in his word and keeping it on that track in our brain constantly fill your head with truth, fill your head with truth. It strikes me that this seems to be at polar opposites to what most in the world would tell us to do, which is those positive affirmations to tell ourselves that we're enough, to to constantly talk to ourselves and tell ourselves that, that we're enough. And yet you're saying, no, let's not look inside ourselves, but look to something that we know is absolute objective truth. What sort of a difference does that make for you? It makes all the difference in the world. I am not enough not on my own. I can't trust my heart to know who I am. 
I need to know what's true. I just, I can't say it enough. To, and I say this to young women all the time. I use the example of going to a potluck. Remember when we used to be able to go to potlucks before all this COVID stuff? <laughs> and potlucks are amazing. I love potlucks. And this is why, because you make a whole lot of one thing and then you bring it and you get to eat a lot of a whole bunch of different things. It's so amazing. And sometimes there's this one dish and it's so good. And you think, oh man, I wonder what's in that. So what do you do? You find the person that made it and you ask them what's in it. Like you don't ask the other people in line. And you don't taste it because you can't even trust yourself in your own, you know, experience. You ask the person that made it. And that's what we do. God made us. So we ask him. He's the one who knows who we are and what our attributes are. What I love about the way you tell that story is that it's very reflective of the stories that you tell in your book, where you take an instance out of life and you say, here's just something that's happened and and oftentimes they're humorous stories but then here's what god has taught me through this is that something that has always been the way for you is is that the way that god has wired your brain to think i don't know i don't think so <laughs> it's just kind of new i don't know if i thought about that like thought things through that way a long time ago when I felt like God wanted me to share my story or my stories, not necessarily, you know, the biography of my life, but kind of the little things that happened and the things I learned from them, I knew that he was asking me to do it. And I thought, wow, no, I don't want to do that. Because I thought, first of all, that's very vulnerable and um, scary. And third, why would anyone listen to Tess Scott? Oh, my word, my life is a freak show. Like, who listens to this woman that's been married four times? Nobody. And I like arguing sometimes with the person who created the whole world. It makes no sense, I know. But he, you know, God was relentless and, and that's what he asked me to do. So I started just writing little stories, you know, little instances like the whole potluck story. And God would just give me those ideas and things. It, it wasn't something that I've always thought about, but he uses us when we're willing. I guess that's what I want to say. When we're obedient to what he's asking to do, I just say, I'll do whatever you want me to do today when I get up. Okay, today's your day. What are we going to do? Usually there's something. We've mentioned the issues around relationship. We've mentioned this growing family. One of the things we haven't touched on yet, though, is health issues because life didn't just throw you curveballs as far as relationships are concerned, but also in health. Tell me about that for you. Oh, so timing-wise, <laughs> that's interesting. So Rick came back, we dated for the year, and then we got married on September 9th of 2016. On September 30th of the same year, three weeks later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was just a routine test and we did not see it coming. And I thought, wow, are you kidding me? Like that has got to be the worst timing. You know, I thought everything's just going along tickety-boo. You know, we're getting married and things are amazing. And my family's all back together because, you know, his kids, my kids, the whole thing. Yeah, I wasn't happy, I have to tell you. But now looking back, because now we're almost six years later, I can say that that was actually good timing, if there's ever a good timing for cancer, because it allowed Rick to be able to take care of me. So it allowed him to show his love for me. There's no way we knew that was coming. We didn't. And he could show the boys how much he loved me by his care for me. 
if I had known, if I had been diagnosed with cancer and then Rick said, you know what, I want to get back together, I never would have trusted that. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have been able to ever trust that that was why, that he really loved me. Maybe he felt guilty or, you know, but that was actually God's timing. And was it another one of those times where you were thrown back into knowing who God is, knowing what the truth is and saying, that's what I need to hang on to because none of this makes sense? Oh, absolutely. And just the the cancer journey, as anybody who's had it will tell you, is in itself just a really hard journey. Being sick and relying on him, that was hard. Losing my hair. So just the whole identity thing again. I would have lots and lots of breakdowns of crying and emotional times of saying like, when you married me, you didn't know I was going to have no hair. You didn't know I was going to have to have a mastectomy. You didn't know, you know, it, it was not easy. It was a really hard time. But again, I'm thankful for the timing because it really was a gift. And all through this time, you're starting to see God weaving a story. And I've heard other people talk about the fact that you know, there's this common saying that God won't give us anything more than we can handle. And yet again and again, we see God giving us stuff that Mm -hmm. we just can't handle outside of him. Do you see that this is in a way him drawing you ever closer through all of these instances? Oh, absolutely. For sure. Through those things, like those are the times, those are the times that You're the closest to God when you realize how much you need him. We always need him all the time, but we realize it when we're on our knees in the green carpet of our bedroom. You went through this process. How long did it take for you to get past that and to to be well again and to start functioning again? As you say, this was only around about six years ago. Where did that leave you? It was a long journey Um, health-wise. I was able to go back to work in June, like the next year. So I was able to, I was fairly healthy once we got through that and just go once a month to London for the injection. And I'm thankful that I'm good now. God has done healing in so many areas of my life. I'm, I'm really, really thankful for that. And of course, the book, we've touched on it a couple of times. I, I guess it's a book for non-readers in some ways, because Mm -hmm. it's not, as you say, it's not, here's my life story, wade through it with me, but it's actually these very small stories that just take people on a, a little bit of a journey so that people can read a number of them together or just read them one at a time and go through them daily with, with a bit of an application of, hey, this is what I drew from it. This is what God taught me through it. How did you pick up the rhythm of of writing in that way? I think that it helps to share hard truth. Um, It helps to share with vulnerability if I can put a little bit of humor with it. Because I am being very vulnerable and very truthful. That's how I can handle doing that. That's And that's kind of my style. Like our family is kind of just always funny and we're always joking around. It's kind of my personality. And I like doing that. And I really wanted to be able to share in a way that especially young moms can just pick it up, 
read it. Even it's just like each story is probably a two minute read and they can read it while they lock themselves in the bathroom for those two minutes while their kid is, you know, banging on the door. They only get like two minutes a day of peace and quiet when your kids are little. So, and they need encouragement and they need to be, to know like life is crazy and you're going to get through it. It's okay. So each story is really, really short and you can read one, set it down, read one a week later or a day later, read five while you're having coffee. I mean, it's not a huge commitment, but every one of them is encouraging and every one ends in truth. How different do you think life would have been if you had a book like this when you were that young woman? Hmm. Yeah, that would have been nice, (laughs) especially maybe not as much even when I was really young, but it would have been nice when I was feeling like I was the only one that had screwed up. Even when you're in church, sometimes you look around, you know, I was a Christian, I was going to church and I was looking around and thinking, man, I am the only one here that's divorced. I'm the only one here that has done this or we can be really hard on ourselves. But you know what? When we're forgiven, when we choose to follow Christ and he takes our sin And he says we're forgiven. He chooses to forget it. Like, I don't forget it. I keep bringing it up. I don't know why, because he forgets it, which is amazing. And I can live free. What has been the response from the women who have read the book so far? I get a really great response from women who read the book. They feel really encouraged. I just love being able to encourage women. And I think it's so important right now in this kind of age we're living in, like a long time ago when I was young and I talked to my friends, you know, I'd go to their house and I'd see their kids are jumping around and their life is chaos. And, or I'd call them on my rotary dial phone, you know, and I'd hear their kids screaming in the background. And so I knew their life is imperfect. Their life is chaos. Their life is a freak show, just like mine. And we're all going to get through it. But now I see this generation of young moms and they mostly connect with their friends on social media. And this is what I think. Sister, if you think that you're seeing this picture of a beautiful house with a pumpkin on the porch, you know, and a beautiful wreath, and that's real life, it's not. And when you open that, if they don't expect you and you walk into that living room, that woman has laundry on the couch, just like you. Like we're all just living these imperfect lives. And that's what I want to tell women. It's okay. It's a sisterhood. We're all part of it. If people are wanting to get hold of your book, Listen, Sister, Finding Hope in the Freak Show, where can they go? They can go to Barnes & Noble, Indigo, Amazon, anywhere books are sold. You can get an ebook. You'll be able to get a paperback version. I hope that you feel really, really encouraged. It's called Listen, Sister, Finding Hope in the Freak Show of Life. And we will put connections in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net so that people can find that really easily. That's also an opportunity for people to jump on your website and to connect with you because there may be women who are thinking, yes, I do need to get a hold of that, but I also just want to connect with Tess. Is it okay if people connect with you as well? Yes, that'd be great. I have a website, tessscott.com. Also, I'm on Facebook and Instagram those kinds of places. And I love to hear from women. I love going out and speaking to groups of women at events and just encouraging them. Tess, it has been a delight to talk to you, to hear some of your story. And there's heaps more stories 
very relatable that are in that book, Listen Sister. So we'll put, as I mentioned, we'll put links in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net. But I just want to say thank you for spending time with us today. Rodney, thank you for having me on. It's been so much fun. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.